and welcome back to the My Journey podcast, episode 10. Yes, that's right, we've made it to double figures. So, what's happened since last time? Well, some pretty good news. The episode with Drew Povey crept into the top 100 podcast episodes in the UK careers chart. It would definitely be an understatement to say that I was happy with that. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to that episode. Who knows? Hopefully we can see that happen with more episodes in the future. Anyway, less about what has happened and more about what we're here for. Today's guest. This is an interview with Glenn Fisher. Glenn is an Amazon best-selling author and host of the All Good Copy podcast, which has an upcoming sold-out show in London. And day-to-day, Glenn is a copywriter. So here goes episode 10 of the My Journey podcast with Glenn Fisher. So welcome to the My Journey podcast, Glenn Fisher. You're here today to speak at C4DI where I'm based and all about copywriting. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go right back to being there as we do with all our guests and start with education. How was school life for you? Did you know that what you've ended up doing, being a copywriter, was what you wanted to do? Not at all. Um, School life for me, how far are we going back? Nursery. Nursery, I was a very... uh, No. (laughs) Um, I... My school life, when I kind of had that conscious um, decision of what to do in life, when you start seeing the careers advisor and you do your work placements and stuff like that, for me it was all business slash banking for some reason. For some reason, I, I say this, I, I, I'm the only 15-year-old I've ever known who wanted to be a bank manager when they grow up. I don't think anyone right. has that ambition. And it wasn't even to have loads of money, it was to the admin that I liked for some reason. Right. I don't know why. But yeah, so I got I was kind of loosely, I, I think I enjoyed business studies, um, maybe at like GCSE and thought, right, I'll go down that route. All my friends were, ironically now looking back and where we are now, but all my friends were quite English literature based, so they were all reading Orwell and Ulysses and and stuff like that, and all the kind of classics, and I enjoyed that, but I didn't really understand that stuff at the time, and felt it was above me somehow, and I don't know why, and I will hold that, because obviously that comes back into my more literary career later on, but at that time I was a business guy, and I was doing that, and I got a work experience in TSB, um, and what have you, did all that, did business studies, did economics, did politics, had a rough idea. My mum had always worked in the local council, so I knew nepotism could get me in there somewhere as like an entry level, just in case there was any problems with my grades. Um, but yeah, I, so I was kind of going in that direction. I didn't want to go to university. There was kind of four of us in a peer group at the time. Two of us were definitely kind of literary and going to into academia. Two of us were, one of us was an engineer, and I was kind of going to get a council job. And so we did that. And I got a job in the council um, and kind of followed that natural thing. So all my education, part one, because I obviously quit and then went back to um, study, create writing. But part one was all business orientated. And, and as I said, like writing at that time, though I was very aware of, um, of literature and enjoyed it, I just I felt like the other guys my friends they were like 
real literature books. So I, I didn't quite know what was going on. I also thought all books had to be 1984. I didn't realise you you could write comedy stuff and all that kind of stuff, which is what got me into writing later on. But I thought everything had to be serious and like dystopian and like serious. Um, so yeah, so that was like first part of my education, and um, it was all guided on getting me into a job that would allow me to achieve 2.4 children, mortgage on the house, live your life, done and dusted, nice one. I had no, no one had said, actually, you're the, you're a creative genius and you should be doing this or what have you. It's just, yeah, that sounds good. Nice one. Go and do that. That's bureaucracy has your name on it. Good luck. I was going to say, it probably sounds like you were the career advisor's dream and the fact that you want Yeah, I mean, I look back on it now and without being too kind of, uh, I don't know, idealistic or political or what have you, but but I just think actually what a letdown. Um, now, I had some great teachers and I'm not, I've got nothing against some of the best teachers I've had and, and the education system was good in the sense that I was... Um, I enjoyed it and I participated and I was part of a good group of um, kids and everything. But when I look at it, where I am now and what I do and how I make far more money, not that it's about the money and we'll get into that kind of thing, but the, the pleasure I derive from my job, what is my job, I don't know, but all of that stuff, no one in that world told me that this was even a choice, let alone identify whether... I was the right kind of kid to do that. Weirdly, I found my national record of achievement was just moving house at the moment. So I was going through the boxes in the attic of stuff that you've had in the attic for five years and not touched. So it's like, yeah. well, well, this really needs to uh, prove its worth if it's going to come with us. But And I found my record of achievement and I was reading through the reports of that time. So when I was like, what, 15, 16, something there, I don't know how time it works, but... And it kind of alluded to me having some creative um, grounding and being a bit weird and a bit silly and, and the, the traits that I see are, are me now. Yeah. And I think, well, because I always kind of forgive the education system for not noticing that in me because I thought I was this driven, businessy, let's get to the council kind of guy. But actually, maybe I was more creative and weirder we used to do some very strange stuff. I played music all the time during school. So we definitely had the thing. We were skateboarders. We, were thinking, we, went, we went full swaps. We were a bit weird and alternative. So actually, I, I, I now look back and think, well, actually, you didn't spot those qualities in me. And I had to do, I don't know, five years of like dull monotony. Um, apologies to anybody who still does that dull monotony. But for me, it was like, actually, I've wasted five years. Like, if I had been doing this now... I could have been five years ahead. Or more um, zen looking at it without understanding that world and without seeing that option, I probably wouldn't um, enjoy and respect what I do as much now and appreciate what I do now. And you mentioned there that you did have other creative outlets. Yeah, we we were always... um, Like these days, um, I I do very silly things and uh, I try and add an element of fun to everything I do. And so it's not just like dry, this is how you do copywriting and all this kind of stuff. And I try and be silly. And then actually, when you look back at it, we, we were in like the local paper because at sixth form, we did tomato rolling to, to like <laughs> raise money for charity. And um, I can remember we used to have a game in the 
sixth form common room where we were like flapping rulers to get stuff across the room. I dressed up on fancy dress day as the deputy head and started signing the register board as him. <laughs> so to the point where he double took when he came in to do that himself and how he was already there as far as he was concerned. We, we, we dealt drugs outside the sixth form, um, but they were vitamin C and Jinko globin. And we got called into the um, sixth form head of year saying, why are two of the best students in the year dealing drugs? And we was like, because it's, it's good. It's, it's good for people. And they're like, what are you talking about? How can you do this? And we were dealing with vitamin C. So it was, <laughs> it was, we were very silly and um, immature. To this day, we still are as a group. But, um, but yeah, I just think that's interesting that actually, when I think back, they didn't spot that. Yeah. Um, and you were mentioning about kind of whether people spot what you can do at, at, in education. And I'm not sure the system quite worked for us at that point. But. So did any of your friends identify a creative career path? Yeah, they're all clowns. They're all professional clowns. Um, no, um, no, we, the, the, the main peer group, I guess, a couple of them were like just academic. Okay. They're, they're going to yeah. be in academia forever. And they were very clear. They came from quite uh, teacherly families and stuff. So, and they've gone on to do very well um, teaching around the country and at various different levels. Um, my other friend, who the one who kind of decided with me we were not going to pursue that because we were stupider, uh, we kind of went into um, the world of work and still successful and what have you. But, but yeah, so we, we kind of, we knew everybody seemed to follow the right path. Um, and as I say, my path, that's where I wanted. It wasn't like I was going, oh, I want to be a yeah. creative, I want to do copywriting or anything like that. I didn't know what the hell copywriting was and had no yeah. idea. But I didn't even want to write. It wasn't a, a thing that I was aware of. As I say, I thought every book had to be 1984. So so we kind of, in that respect, everybody got where they were. Where I was just what is it, a late bloomer or something to, to figure out, oh, actually, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. So. Just on that point of, you didn't know what copywriting was. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. It's like a lot of people don't understand what careers are out there. But working with a couple of copywriters in the, at C4DI, it's quite interesting how many people still don't Oh, yeah, know no, I mean, I, I, ba- I barely... I, I thought about this the other day. I was walking my dog back, and I can't remember why. It's a constant question. But of, oh, someone, someone, had, someone had emailed me asking, oh, we need some copywriting and content services um, doing... And that's the, the biggest problem is that without getting too niche, it's it's between what is copywriting, what is content writing, what is journalism, what is thing. There's so many elements to it, and it can't really be defined in an overall term of yeah. copywriting. And also with within what's well, wider than marketing as well. I speak to people and say copywriting, and they think we're protecting their intellectual property. Yeah, that, that was the first yeah. thing that a lot of people, when I first discovered copywriting, I mean, I, I was I was employed as a copywriter, and I didn't know what I was doing for a year, so I couldn't have defined it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird, no one's really bothered, it's, it's perhaps the most ironic thing that a bunch of writers can't define a thing with words. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just hard, it's a, it's, it's so embedded in like the word copy to describe writing. It comes from like that journalistic background, yeah. copying and what have you. So a piece of copy is, is the, is the words, but then copywriter has been loosely associated with an advertising 
and the David Ogilvy world of right to sell and copywriting is like the right to sell element. So therefore, a blog post, some people I know, hardcore copywriters will say that's not copywriting. But then if you've got a call to action in the blog post saying, go and sign up to my e that is essentially a piece of copy writing in the sense to sell. So it's, it's yeah. really ridiculous. I think it's probably the wrong question to ask. When, because and so many people do, they say, oh, what is cut? Well, it's not really relevant. What do you want it to do? What do you want these okay. words to do? Yeah. What, what are you trying to do? Is the output, therefore, a piece of copywriting? Is it a piece of content? Is it a piece of thing? That's kind of the media. That's not, it's not really important what that is. Uh, am I in advertising, marketing, or copywriting? I have no idea. Um, I, I, I always say, it's a, I, I do it about ideas, and it's coming with ideas and expressing them in the best way. Sometimes we'll do that with words. Sometimes we'll do it with images, videos, whatever you want to do. So it's a hard and, and silly debate. <laughs> so going back to you coming out of your education, mm-hmm. you went into the council where you were an auditor, I believe. I was an auditor, yeah, I did a few kind of um, odd jobs and worked in school services first, then I went into housing benefits and that was fun, going down the docks and looking for fraudsters and like people say I've got a broken leg and then the hauling fish in and all this <laughs> kind of stuff and that was some weird moral stuff going on there, sat with the fraud squad. Um, but yeah, I did all that and then I became an auditor and that was the kind of main job that I did for a while um, and studied a bit of accountancy, started taking my accountancy qualification at that point. Um, and did you enjoy it at first? At first I did, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was wearing the suit, I was a young guy, it was like, it was quite unique really, it's quite a strange thing because I was very young um, for that particular job I guess I was going into schools to audit their finances and people, I, I didn't look much older than the kids kind of thing so it was a bit weird but quite fun going into all the different elements of the council and um, we, I was mentioned we were just moving house we were talking about um, what's it called building regulations and all this kind oh, right, of stuff yeah. and all of a sudden I just thought I audited the building regulations department. Like I've completely forgotten about that thing, but I did European grants, I did loans and investments. At the time, it was when kind of uh, North East Lincolnshire Council, which which I worked for, I think they were like, it was when like some terrible financial crisis was going on. I don't think it was the 2008 one, it would have been before that, but like money had been lost from Iceland or something like that. And then I suddenly realised that was the bits that I was looking at. So it was like, it was interesting, <laughs> weird and cool for a little bit, but then I kind of saw the monotony and, well, that, that's unfair, but something was wrong. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should be doing. I didn't fancy doing it for another 50 years, but that was. Yeah. And you went from there to go back to education to study. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm still to this day working out the, the true motivation and, and what I did. Oh, well, that was going to be my question. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I, I remember the councils, councils generally seem to be on a rotor system where every five to ten years they have like this crisis and they have to sack everyone and make everybody redundant and then start again. And I, I think it's probably something just everybody washes their hands and goes, oh, they did it all wrong. Um, but I think that was happening. I, so I think it was kind of all thing. I remember the office, the Ricky Gervais office was on right. at the time, and that's important because Tim, the character in that, looked a bit like I looked a bit like him, and he his character was 
taking the mick out of the guy in the office who's always going to leave to go on to better things. Right. And that was me. That was everybody was like, "Oh, it's like you, isn't it? You're going to go and do this thing." And I was like, "All oh, right, oh yeah, whatever, whatever." Anyway, so there's that element, and yeah, so much just clicked in my head. I can't quite remember why, but I started writing stuff as well. Um, I started writing short stories. I discovered um, what I would t- well more modern literature. Let's not be too silly, but. Rather than stuff like 1984 where I thought it had to be dystopian and all this kind of stuff or like you had to be James Joyce and spend hours going blind writing like a, a thousand page novel, I discovered stuff like Braxton Ellis and Paul Auster and like modern American authors um, and not very fashionable to say because of all the controversy over around him but I discovered Woody Allen and I'd seen his films and was amused by his films but I discovered his short stories and they were really, really funny. And that led me to Groucho Marx's uh, short story, well, Letters. And I suddenly discovered this world where you could be kind of edgy and cool with your brace analysis uh, and funny and witty with your Woody Allen's and Groucho Marx and stuff. And that, that spoke to me somehow. That, that kind of unlocked the world of literature a bit more. And I started reading properly. Um, and I kind of just went crazy and started reading as much as I could. Whatever books in a book that were referenced, I would go and find those books and right. kind of follow that intertextual world um, and just started doing that. Simultaneously, I did it, started doing a short story, like two-hour night class at the local college. And that was just, I have, I have a tendency just to do, just to push myself in, put myself in situations. It's like speaking here tonight. Yeah. I, I, I'm rubbish at speaking is I mean I'm speaking to you and, and what have you and, and people are like sure Glenn you're doing talks and you're in front of me but I, I will go dry I hate it I struggle yeah. with the thing but I dare myself to do it and it's just how I do it and you get away with it I did the same with the nightclub I just went do you know I'm just going to see what's going on here and I was lucky that a guy the teacher at the time was just had just moved back to Grimsby and was um doing his PGCE kind of thing. So he was quite young. We kind of got on his mates and had a beer and what have you. And he just, I wrote a silly short story for that, well, a couple of them for the various tasks, but the kind of main one, the class really loved. And he was like, you've got, you're quite good at this. Like there's something here. Um, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, well, nothing. I work for the council and Lord, to, I, I'm quickly searching for my 2.4 and the mortgage to kind of yeah. complete my life and, and that's done. Um, but he was like, no, there's something going on here. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I, he said, well, they're doing a um, professional writing, is how it was termed, not oh, creative okay. writing, because it was Grimsby College, or the Grimsby Institute, whatever it's called now, but because it was Grimsby, and because you can't have anything as creative as creative <laughs> writing at the time, it had to have a vocational element yes. to it. So it was professional writing, and you got a job at the end of it, even though it was like theatre, graphic novels and whatever. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really professional writing. I think one guy did a textbook for his uh, final major project, but that was as professional as it got. But, um, but yeah, it was... So I was like, do you know what? Yes, let's do it. And I, my, my parents were very supportive. They thought I was mad and insane, but they obviously would have been able to see that I wasn't happy and something was not right. Um, or whether I was just a... Spoiled brat and just said, I'm doing this. But I think it would have been a mutual thing. And uh, I, so I quit their job and 
got onto this degree course and studied uh, creating well professional writing for three years and uh, like did really well uh, and became realised I kind of knew what I was doing but I didn't know what it was called so I didn't know that this was a certain technique but I learned that over that time but it was a weird experience that college experience because a lot of the people that didn't really want to be there they were just doing a degree right, whereas okay. I wanted to be there so when they said oh can you write a essay about Kafka I was like sure can let's go for it <laughs> where he's like oh whatever so I was like a weird teacher's swap during those years because I was I, re- I wanted to be writing that stuff and with the night classes, that was probably more people who have a passion about writing and things yes. like that. Whereas this, as you say, it was called professional writing. Yeah. Was there links to this is what, how you can use this within a career? Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of, uh, I'm seeing the guy, Chris, who uh, ran it, and I don't want to undermine his time there. <laughs> but no, right, is okay. my answer. Because there probably was, maybe there was, maybe I was idealistic and thought I could just write novels or become the book review for The Guardian, which was my loose plan. Right. And I realised that that's not something most people can do. Um, but I didn't really... I don't really remember thinking, oh, this is the job. I, there was support, definitely. But what I do remember is that during that, or during the final year of that, I very quickly figured out that if I was going to do a job writing in Grimsby, it was for the Grimsby and Telegraph. That was the only like yes. words place there was, um, and I didn't want to be a journalist. I, w- I was very sure of that, and I've always been that way. I, d- I have no interest in being a journalist. Um, so I was so I subconsciously we knew, and I say we as in my family supporting me. We knew I'd have to move away to get a writing job. Um, I, I know we knew because I got a moped whilst I was still <laughs> working at the local cinema. And there would be no rational reason to get a moped other than not to get a car because I knew I had to move away at some point. Okay. Anyway, so um, so no, it wasn't that thing. But what I did find during that time, and what was is, is interesting, I think, is that I was desperately trying to get a junior writer's role of any description, um, and I applied for every single anything with junior writer or writer or assistant or whatever on the thing, and I could for love nor money sound like some weird old man that phrase but um, I couldn't get an interview could not get a single response was struggling so much I had like weird circuitous calls where I'd go hi there I'm applying for this and go oh you need two years experience and I was like well this is the job where you get the two years experience yes how do I get this job if I haven't got that and I can remember one person I I think I've dramatised the story it was a guy the Guardian it probably wasn't but they laughed and went, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's, a, it's a bit broken, isn't it? I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, what do I do? And then, luckily, I got a job uh, working at this company in London and there was a madman on the other end of the line who saw the madman in me and it connected. But it was like last-ditch effort, kind of ready to give up. Um, it was really hard at that time. And as far as copywriting goes... I mean, I had no idea that that was even a job of what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, I, so I, I assumed writing was either journalism um, or <laughs> Pasco and go straight to reviewing books for the Guardian. That, that's as much as, or become a novelist kind of thing. I flirted yeah. with the idea of trying to go to the UEA um, down in Norwich for the master's course, but I kind of wanted to get a job and start getting all the things I was always getting older. 
Um, so yeah, so it was, but it was weird. It was hard to get that job. Uh, very lucky to like. Was that Agora? That was Agora, yeah. yeah. So I it just said like writer, junior writer or something, um, and it was written. The ad was written by uh, one of my first mentors, uh, which was written in a very jokey way. Um, which once I met him, I understood why. But it was kind of you won't do anything. You'll make the tea. You'll be made to dress as a clown and all this kind of stuff. It was this really off kilter thing. Okay. Um, and because they were financial, they were financial. Well, yeah. yeah, this is strange. Thing. And this is, I, I'm very lucky because they're a financial company, but um, their methods are very much more creative than you might think. Okay. Uh, for a financial company, but and this particular guy who was there was somewhat of an anomaly anyway within the company. Um, and so yeah, so he did this thing. I applied for it, and and he said, all you want, all you have to do is. Um, don't send me a CV, don't send me any, uh, I don't want to know what you've done, I just want to see an example of your writing and uh, sell me a suit in 500 words. So I remember being over, over, uh, hungover is the right way of saying that, Um, hungover wrote a story about how Jesus got the job as son of God and he was a crack carpenter uh, but he happened to have a really nice suit and when he saw the job's wall in Jerusalem saying, son of God available, went into the interview and God took a shining to his suit and said, if you give me the suit, you can be, you can have the job. So, and then the, my suit company had like, um, descended from the suit maker of that suit. So it was, right. it was madness. And I, I look back on it now, it's so badly written. <coughs> it's got like, you are and yours, like every, like people would just be ashamed of that work. But there was an idea in there. And interestingly, what I'd done was um, tell a story to sell rather than just go, my suit has uh, got very features, nice thing, yeah. all the features. So all, all the classic stuff that I didn't even know what I was doing. But this piqued the interest and this, the guy saw it and was like, this guy's thinking outside the box. And that's how I got the job. Completely madness. Uh, got into Agora and yes, it's a financial business and a financial company, but they are interested in ideas and that's when that really i started i was lucky that that was my first entrance into the world of copy because um they're so led by ideas um that it, the, the the end result isn't what's important is the how do you explain that if it, yes we're going to sell an options service but like what's the idea behind that it's no good to just say we're going to buy options buy and sell options and make it put this on all this kind of stuff You've got to express that in a way that people go, hey, that's interesting. So that was the whole thing that I learned there. And how would that process work within the organisation? Was it a very collaborative process or was it a go off and come up with ideas and come back um, and them? It's changed and evolved over the years. Um, at the beginning, it, it was all very much a, you, you, you kind of do as much research as you can out, out, and, and then you just start kind of pitching ideas um, and what ifs, what if you said this, what if it was this, um, you, you, there was, you were bombarded with like, um, useful techniques, I will say, which is essentially what I, I try and do in my talks now, but I've distilled for me now, when I look back and think about it, the ones that stick are often the most simple and fundamental, which everybody repeats, but I, I guess when it's good, you, you meant to repeat it, but the, 
the idea that you're talking to someone on over a bar, so or like this, um, I, every piece of copy that you write should be talking to a friend, as you would, you should yeah. talk as you would normally. So none, none of this hyperbolic or like weird grammar stuff. People don't speak in full sentences. People don't um, don't go, hey Bob. Um, one thousand percent off this thing. It's like, hey, do you, do you know there's some money off this thing over here or whatever? So, so that stuck early on um, for how you would think about that. But then it was it was just a case of, of watching and and reading, and there was never any clear like this is how you do it. You just had to observe things and then just be weird. Like I've 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 come along and kind of distilled it for my teaching if you like or my preaching is that you've just got to be weird and silly and see what comes out and you mentioned earlier that the guy who employed you was you regard him as one of your mentors yes how important would you say that mentors have been throughout your career um i i so mentors is a really weird thing and i think it's only kind of been picked up by us in the uk over the past few years or or rather by a wider audience a lot of people in the uk uh, use that kind of language but and I would never previously have kind of referred to mentors, but then Agora being an American company and being exposed to that world, it's, it's just become more like that with modern people like Gary Vee and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, that language is now much wide, more widely used. Um, but I think they're really important, and I didn't realise that. Um, I didn't realise that until I probably started being referred to as a mentor, so I would employ young copywriters, which always sounds like some weird fagin thing, but um, I had a team that I grew and would mentor, and these young guys would come to me and say, oh man, that's so useful, like, thanks for doing that, like, thank you, thank you, thank you, and I'm thinking, that's my job, like, what, you, what you're talking about, but I didn't see it like that, I, I, I didn't realise, actually, I'm, I'm your mentor, I'm showing you this kind of stuff. So now I look back and, and there's probably about five or six people in my copywriting days. There were people before that, uh, even people at the council I have had an, had an influence on me. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important. And it's more like retrospectively. Yeah, I, I didn't realise, again, I, I consider myself lucky and yeah, of course you've got to do stuff and drive yourself, but there are elements of luck in life and my I can look with hindsight and go, oh, I had mentors without realising it. They were they were effectively mentoring me at that time. Um, when I joined Agora, I was very lucky that the, the owner and his main partner, uh, who essentially founded the business, were in the UK, um, tasked with kind of getting the writing team in the UK up to scratch. And so my timing was perfect because it meant I got essentially mentored by the people who owned it. So like the highest level of... of the Agora world, which was very unique and very, um, very lucky. So that was, that was a really good thing seeing them. But then my actual like line manager boss kind of thing, they were, they taught me so much about marketing and and the wider picture more than just writing, uh, which now I understand has served me far more successfully than I ever kind of knew. I knew I needed to do it and know it. But now I can do weird marketing things where I'll sell out an event in a few hours yeah. because of that teaching there. So that was really useful. Um, so yeah, I think mentorship is really, really 
good and, and it should be encouraged more. We just need to probably find a more English way of doing it. Because very really struggle with that word. Yeah, it's very funny that you mentioned that because I was at an event um, when I was at uni and it was all about enterprise and stuff like that. And I was sat in the room and they were talking about mentors. And I'd had a mentor when I was at sixth form, but it's very formal. You apply sure. to have a mentor and they get assigned to you, kind of thing. And I remember hearing about these people and all the mentors they had and stuff. And I was just a man up going, how do you get a mentor? Yeah. And they were like, they kind of laughed and they went, well, you don't like, ask them out on a date. Kind yeah. of, it's not like, will you be my mentor? Yeah, this, but it's, it's interesting. So I, there's a, a, a brilliant woman called Vicky Ross who um, is kind of the UK copyright industry's kind of queen at the moment. Um, and she does a mentorship Program. I don't know if she still does it, but I know she did a mentorship program with a with a kind of enterprise in London where it was for uh, young creative females, and she got sent like a list of five people who wanted to be mentored, and she was like, "Well, I can't pick between them," so she ended up doing them all. Um, but what she learned from that, and I think what's interesting, and, and when I say you need to kind of probably change the way we perceive it, um, mentoring someone is hard. To do it properly, if you want to take the time, um, as I've been learning more and more every day, time is the most important asset we have. And to you have to value your time. You have to understand what you're getting out of your time from a business sense. Uh, but also so you can pair that with your social life and you, you, the important things in life. But to just be a mentor, it's like, oh yeah, can you show me how to do this? It's, it's a lot to give up to like properly like take the time to care about someone. Yeah. There's great benefits because you learn and see other people. You see that, um, and I was going to say younger, but it doesn't need to be someone younger. It can be someone older than you who yeah. might guide. Um, but that other person has fresh eyes, which you can get benefit out of uh, as well. So it's a real two-way thing when it, when it works properly. Um, it's something I'm trying to... I get so many emails from people asking me to, oh, do you mentor, do you do copy coaching stuff and I, I, I need to figure out a way to be able to deliver that better. Uh, yeah. That's kind of one of my next main projects aside from the silly weird stuff that I do but that I do, I would like to do but I'm not doing it consciously because I'm very aware that I want to do it properly. I don't want to leave people hanging. Um, so, But it's hard but it is something I, I think I would encourage people to try but yeah, we need to find a better way of doing it. Yeah. So, uh, Agora, you worked your way up, you said you had a team. Yeah. Was there a point where you thought, I want to do my own thing, I want to be my own boss, that kind of thing? I, I, I always, Agora is a brilliant company in the sense that they immediately teach you independence. Right. Um, and it's a, you're very much left to your own devices, um, and it's... A, it's quite entrepreneurial. Yeah, it's a rare company in that respect. I've worked in, or I've, I've worked in, kind of consulted for different companies and watched them and seen going, well, that's why you're not getting the most out of your staff there. They're just clocking in, clocking out. Igori kind of live the, the the job and you, you're in it and you're part of it. And that's, so you're always given this um, entrepreneurial spirit. And I didn't realize I had it until I went there. So I, I'm very thankful to um, all, all the people there who encouraged that. Um, so I kind of always knew I'd want to do something. I was told many, many times by many, many people that you should be doing this yourself anyway. Um, deep down, I knew I always wanted to write books and do that kind of thing. Um, 
I can't say I knew definitely what I wanted to be or do, and I still can't say that. But I have loose kind of weird, very specific but strange ambitions and then kind of think, well, how could I get to that? And I think in that respect, and, and I would, I don't like planning too much. I, I don't, it's not, I'm not a strong suit for me. But I think because I didn't know where I wanted to go, I didn't do it fast enough because I didn't have a clear end goal. I was just kind of going along. Um, Did you do like side projects while you were working on um, A little bit, but I, I think if you're doing something, you've got to do it yeah. full. Um, and I, I kind of started um, my website on the side, but that was really more to kind of figure out how to do stuff. I was writing a, a daily email for Agora, um, which advised people on how to like start home businesses and all this kind of stuff. And I was very much aware that if I was writing and advising people that I don't yeah. want to just be a, like a, I've researched it and figured, like, done it. I wanted to, to live it and be able to say, well, this is what I figured out. Okay. Here's how to do it. So I started doing that for that. And then that later became useful when, when I went freelance. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever know this is where I want to go. I just have these kind of vague ambitions. Yeah. Um, and then I, I wanted to write. I want to write and create stuff, I think. I just like creating stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not, as much as I've seemed to have worked in finance for a long time, and still do, and I still have that skill and that knowledge uh, base, so I, I, I exploit that and use it for various companies, but um, I wanted to get further out than that. And, and luckily, that's what being freelancers allow me to do, is all that kind of crazy stuff. So when you started, would you say you were you started as a copywriter? Yes, um, technically, I, I always remember the chat fed Ash said, "Look, you can either be an editor and write the content, or you could be a copywriter and write the sales material." He said, "See, have a go at both. See which one you want to do." Right. Okay. Now, whether because I wanted to do both whether because he was useless at organisation and never actually followed up on saying, let's make a decision. Uh, serendipitously, because I did both, I carried on doing both. And I learned how to do the content and the copy. I think that's essential. And I latterly taught other people both because I think if you're going to sell stuff, you need to understand what you're selling. And it speaks to yeah. that kind of produce the product and sell the product. It gives you that thing. So... So I didn't know I was specifically going to be a copywriter, but I did know the copy bit was the selling side of things. Um, over time, I lent towards the copy side of things, particularly because in finance, I didn't want to learn about like, yeah. how to sell a, a naked put or something. I wanted to figure out how to persuade someone to buy a service that would be advising you on that. So I skewed towards the copy side, and that's where my real training uh, pushed, if you like. Yeah. But, I, but I always kept that side of the editorial and how to engage with customers, but it's very similar in that respect. And it's obviously grown to more um, than just a copywriting service. You've got your book, yes, things like that. So, in terms of that idea of having a book, a podcast, doing speaking events, yes, it links in something I'm quite interested in, which is personal branding. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think you'd no. be trying to make a name for yourself no. or the business? I genuinely, and it's one of these things I'm sure people listening will be like, yeah, whatever he says, you say these things. Um, I can 
I constantly, I'm incredibly grateful, is the first thing I, I've got to say, that I am even considered a, a person that is like known by people that don't know me. Like yeah. that, it's just weird and strange and thing, but it's brilliant because because it, it's nice. People are nice, like, yeah. and there is niceness in the world. And if you give, people generally receive and are grateful for it. So that's all very good. Personal branding, yeah, it's become a thing where I'm like a brand now, and it's like dead weird. I'm conscious of it. I I play it. I, I'll play the game like. But at the same time, I'm very keen to be myself as much as possible yeah. and to not let the two blur. I'm thinking of like Stuart Lee now, of like saying like the character of Stuart Lee versus the thing. Yeah. Is there a character of Glenn Fisher? To an extent, yes. But I, I'm pretty close to how I hopefully um, show myself in public. Yeah. I put a mask on for doing a talk. Yeah, because I have to, because otherwise I'd be like drying out and shivering in a mess on the floor. Um, so that's a different part of me. But generally, it's who I, how I present myself. I'm doing a kind of live experiment to see how far I can go. So I'm okay. working on a project at the moment, which is a, a, a small little like chat book thing, which I do the podcast, I interview all these people. My dog is one of the characters on that and speaks. Um, so I'm going to interview him, and the book will be the Pablo interview with him. Okay. So I'm now writing up this, which is silly and thingy, but that's, as Ruth, my partner, will attest to, I'm an annoyingly immature and silly person. Like She will go, no, and it's usually because she knows I'm about to start singing a song or essentially performing like Muppet. She, she mentioned <laughs> the other day, she was like, you actually like move like a Muppet, don't you? And I was like, yeah, sometimes I do kind of thing. So all of that stuff, like if you see silliness from me, it's genuine and what have you. In personal branding, yeah, it's one of those things you've got to certainly like, I've become an asset. There's this in business you probably shouldn't. Like good businessmen don't be and women don't become the brand themselves. Richard Branson, yeah. Virgin Airways is not really to do with Richard Branson. He can go home at night and yeah. not worry about it. So because I've got that much business now, I know this is not sustainable. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I've got to the verge now where uh, thankfully a lot of people want to work with me and do stuff and I appear to be quite good at what I'm doing so people want to work with me but then that's now getting to the point where I've only got so much time yeah. and what have you so I, I'm really considering how I go from being a person to a, a company Yeah, and I, I don't know the answer to that yet I wonder the um just things to ponder, yeah. but potentially if you if you were the what was it head of copy at Agora, yeah. would they have would the head of copy at Agora written a book and had a podcast? No, well this is things? yeah, this is the thing. Like the, the world of Agora is very different in the sense that the type of copy they do and the type of products they sell is very niche, but it's very uh, profitable. Yes, and generally, if you get that right you don't need to exist. Like you yeah. can make a lot of money without worrying about things. Um, however, you work within a bubble. So you might, you, like some of the best copywriters in the world, no one knows who they are. Like I do, because I know yes, the, yeah. the inside of it. But 
you've never heard of them, and they're far more successful than than what are considered successful people yes. in the world. I, I, I'm interviewing more and more su- successful in inverted commas people, and I think, well, actually, that copyright that no one knows about in Agora is yeah, it's better than you at this, but they're fine to do that. So there is a certain um, selfish, like self-promotional thing where it's like when you yeah. step out of that, you 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 kind of go onto a different level of things. So I've not figured that out. All, all, all I know is everything that has happened so far, um, I wouldn't have changed because I wouldn't have been, yeah. A, in the position I am, but also the person I am. I think as and well. And that's the thing that I think is important to, to appreciate all of those elements. Yeah, as well with like small businesses where the service is us. Like I do social media management, like, that people deal with me. It's sure. not a service that they log on to and use. They use I am producing the service. Yeah. There almost needs to be that relationship with people as well. That yeah, I mean, it's it's just, there's a really, well, there's a lot of differently uh, clever people like in the business world that I linked up to through Agora who I've looked, I, I, I kind of almost keep their ideas in my mind whilst like seeing how can I apply it on a really small scale like just me bumbling along in the world um so it's a bit of a merge but like it's, it's dead weird like I'm doing work for like big agency names now which is like a yeah. thing that I never thought so I was always in the direct response world which is uh, Agora is a direct response copywriting business I won't go into it, it gets complicated and I've got to do it in an hour anyway but direct response is uh, getting the credit card out of the bottom of the page Indirect is your brand, so it's like, yes. oh, I've seen that brand, I might go and buy them back there. So I've always worked in the direct response world. I, I, I wrote the book to kind of say, look, all these tricks and tactics you can use in the branding world as well, and you can use in the online world and all this kind of stuff. Now, ironically, I'm sat there with brands and what have you, and I, I always hated the word brands and stuff like that, but now I'm working with brands and doing all I've I'm not too big-headed enough to, to go, all oh, right, that's interesting. There's elements to this side and the, the indirect yeah. side that are really useful and that we're missing on the other side, but vice versa, there's, there's bits in there. So I've, I'm, again, straddling this position, which is working really well at the moment. Um, hopefully, uh, the feedback I've had is that I'm bringing some direct response stuff into that world, and that seems to be working quite nicely. So there's always different... Things the, the one lesson and comes back to the personal branding thing is you've got to figure out what you want to do first yeah. of all and how you want to be like I could yeah I could go and launch an agency have it as you will get Glenn Fisher grade copy you, it might be written by a baboon in like a different place and then I edit it or what have you but that could be a thing I could do but do I want to do that like part of the reason I left yeah. Aurora was because I was running things rather than writing. Yes, it, my writing is my skill, and mm-hmm. and my ideas are my um, my writing is my skill. My ideas are my feet. Sounds like some kind of, a, <laughs> but yeah, I just it's you've got to make these decisions, and if you're happy where you are, understand that and and run with that because it's because half the people out there are, are not, and they they want to be, but they haven't got the means. I've got the means to be happy. That's how I see it. And it would be disrespectful to everybody who is struggling for me to go, oh, actually, I want a bit more. <laughs> and yeah. kind of go down and see, it's like, no, I'm quite happy with this. I'll take that. That's cool. So 
and that seems to kind of attract niceness uh, as well. So in terms of the book, um, it's got some good little things that catch people's eye in terms of mm-hmm. bestseller. Yep. Um, that's it. Nominated for best business book. Best business book. Yeah. yeah, yeah like these incredible things. Yeah. How did that all come about? It this book was it you self publishing? Pure chance. Um, yeah. No. I no. I got a publisher, uh, Harriman House, um, and I was conscious I wanted to get a publisher. Yeah. Your idea to do a book. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, I wanted to do to do a book, and I've been kind of putting it on and off for years, trying to figure out how to do something, and. I was trying, I, a piece of advice, I was trying, I over, was overcomplicating things. And I was going, oh, it's got to be this, it's got to be like this magnum opus that I come out with and do this thing. Um, and it wasn't that in the end. It was, oh, I've got all of this writing, that all looks kind of like a book. If I just yeah. glue this bit here and write this new bit here and write this bit here, oh, that's a book. And then when you go through the editing process, it, it's like, I don't even know what book that is anymore. It's a really weird process. Right. Like you, you lose track of it. It's like, is that a thing? Uh, did I write that? But yeah, so I, I found I found a way, and I was like, all oh, right, I think I've got a book here with some of the stuff I already had written. Um, and then I knew, I, I knew I wanted to publish it for the simple reason that I could have made it, could have self-published, knew how to sell it, could have sold it through direct response, sales letter mean, like means that I'd learned in Agora and what have you. But I wanted for myself a um, uh, a second, uh, a completely cold person to come in and go, we think this is worth publishing. Um, I, I support self-publishing. I think it's really um, useful and, and more people should and can do it. But I just, I needed that second voice to but say. said knowing yourself, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I just I just wanted that thing. I wanted that credibility. Um, so, yeah, so I got the publisher. I, I kind of knew Harriman House a little bit, but just pure chance. It was like on LinkedIn or something. I think I'd seen they'd followed me or something. I said, oh, I've got a book. And they went, oh, I would be interested in that. And I, I think probably that day I was like, yes, I've got a publisher. <laughs> then two hours later, I get an email going, yeah, if you could just fill in this proposal. And it was a hard slog going through that. I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Because I learned a whole different world of like the publishing world. I've been working in publishing. I've published books for, for financial authors, but I'd never done it to this degree. And it was uh, it was a great, great experience. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of went through that. I was very thankful to Harriman House and uh, Craig, who edited it. He was fantastic. The whole editing process was really useful. Um, but, yeah, I kind of bumbled that together. But then it was like, oh, God, now this is like represents you and it's like really weird and thing but then you you're constantly learning to kind of understand who you are and what you are and what you produce necessarily doesn't reflect who you are and this kind of weird stuff but i thought it was i knew it was good good i was going to add ish but no i thought it was good and i knew the work was there and i knew i put enough into it and enough care into it um but now i've gone through that process like the next now I can create more. And it was like being given permission to be an author, which was like really weird. So, oh no, I am, I am an author, like I'm on Amazon. Like that was a weird thing for me. I was like still in that kind of self-denial, self-imposter um, syndrome stuff where it's like, oh, I'm not thinking, I'm going to claim you published. Like, yeah. like when are you going to like admit that? And I was like, oh yeah, good point. So since then, like my, the book I'm writing at the moment is completely different in style and, kind of how I put it together but 
yeah, I, I would just anybody who wants to do that kind of stuff, don't try and overcomplicate it. Like, okay. just stick to stick to one idea is like the ultimate um, piece of advice. But yeah, I I, uh, I think I could have spent a lot of time waiting for the best thing that would have never have come. Um, so there was a point where I, I had to kind of go, no, this is the book as this book is. I'll write another one uh, if people don't yeah. like that and kind of move on. And I think that, I'm, I, I imagine I'm probably not alone in that kind of like holding on to the creative thing and going, oh, no, it's, no, let it go, let it sit and carry on doing more stuff. I think as well when you just mentioned at the end where people are telling you, no, you've done it, you've become a publisher, speaking to other people and something, not really been called out a specific thing in the podcast so far, but the idea that no one really has that moment where it's like, I'm a publisher. No, it's, it's like such a gradual process that it takes somebody to say to you, look how far you've come into yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it reminds me of Ruth was telling me, I've not read it myself, but uh, it's the magician Darren Brown. All right, yeah. uh, he's written a book called Happiness. I've, I've not read it, but he, he writes, or she tells me, I mean, she might be lying to me, uh, <laughs> but she told me about a passage in that where he was saying he's like a famous magician now. He's like, it's Darren Brown. Everybody knows who he is, but he... He, he got there and he achieved it and then the next day he's like what, like what now like yeah. I've done that and, and that kind of the that was even more anxious the next day because it's like oh I've done that now yeah. and my book's just like been out for a year like literally the other day uh, and there is an anxiety in going oh like I've got to do another one like and people joke and laugh and go oh yeah you say that and it's like no I've got to like do another thing and you never you're always creating because I've got this creative um, desire, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing all this. There's bits that I've got planned over the next couple of months where that people know about. Like, I'm doing a live show of the podcast with characters. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I just made it up, and now I'm interviewing Roy Sutherland at Ogilvy at the head offices, and 50 people bought tickets in a few hours, which is mental and mad. But I'll do it. But there's all that kind of stuff. And then, and Ruth's going, oh my God, you're going to be so like stressed. And then she, and I go, oh, I'm going to do this. And she went, can you just stop? Like, what are you doing? And I'm going, no, I'm going to do this. And there's all these other things, but I just have this desire to create this stuff. Yeah. Um, so you, I don't think you ever figure it. It's like, I've played in bands all my life and the bands that I played with, some of them have become famous now. To me, they're still the same people. You can't see it when it's that close to you. So you definitely yeah. can't see it in yourself. Like, I'm speaking tonight, I don't know how many people, 20 people or whatever. My mum has no idea what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm speaking at Copyright Conference in London next week. Yeah, I out, think yeah. it's like sold out 200 odd people. Like, and, and half of them are going, oh, I can't wait to meet Glenn Fisher. Like, what are you on about? Glenn yeah. Fisher's me. Like, there is no Glenn Fisher. There is <laughs> it's just this yeah, guy yeah, yeah. from Grimsby that is audacious that we're, I'm even doing this. But you never know that truly. And this is like the lowest level of like any like fame or anything. It's like, I'm not on like BBC or anything, but it's just like, it's still that weird thing, but you don't notice it. Like, it's yeah. just a weird thing. It's like when you're a kid and you're growing up, and, like, your parents never go, oh, you've grown three inches or whatever. Yeah. Like, but when you go see an auntie or a grandma, yeah. it's like, oh, you shut up. And it's that idea of you're always on this treadmill and you're yeah. always creating. It's, it, my, my partner, Ruth, is, is an artist, um, and she, well, she hates saying she's an artist. She's like, stop telling me I'm an artist. 
And it's like, well, you are an artist. You produce art. You sell art. Like, you are an artist. Yeah. But she... So I, we both have it where she's like, Glenn, you've done all this. Like, stop worrying. Yeah. But I'm... And I'm going, oh, no, I need to do... I'm not doing anything. And she put... At the same time, I'm going, Ruth, you sell all this stuff. Like, people love it. And she's like, oh, yeah. no. And I'm going, it's exactly the same thing. But I think everybody with a creative... Um, uh, element to their life uh, and that's in, in all across business like uh, people confuse think creativity can't be there in business uh, they yeah. think it's like oh no unless you're kind of wearing a flouncy outfit and throwing yeah. mud at the wall and going ah like uh, you're not creative you can be creative in business and still have that drive to find ways to be creative um, in what you're doing and if you've got that you just you've got to keep doing it and, and not stop right? yeah and it's yeah. For example, I put out, it was 1st of October 2018, I put out about finding guests from my first ever, oh, I just had this idea of a podcast, I was like, can I find guests, anyone can sure. help me? And then in February, I released it, well, people from the outside look at that and go, you didn't have a podcast, you did have a podcast. Yeah. They don't see the bit in between where it's gradually become an idea, I got my first guest, did the first yeah. interview, got the third, second, third, fourth, then edited them, and then that, yeah. they don't see that progression. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I like, I like... There's two things there that are interesting. I, I like the process of showing you working out yes. to a certain extent. I think it's I think it's useful. I think um, I think if people watch what I do, you can watch what I do, not necessarily what I'm saying, but how I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, like I, I I went to sell out this live show. I had a very clear plan in my mind how to do that. Um, and did a launch sequence that I'd planned, I'd written all the kind of thing. And then I had a moment where I dawned on it, because it, it began as an audacious thing, and I genuinely didn't know if it would fly. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to go get away, if I'm going to get away with doing this. Um, but I'd had some really good feedback. Some people I trusted and asked about it, and they were like, yeah, no, this is really good. I really would like to, I think you should do this. But I'd done that. And then I think I popped into my mum to give her the usual kind of, I'm still alive, don't worry, yeah, yeah. freelance life is fine. And but I kind of thought, well, I want to sell it out now. Like, but if you'd have watched what I actually did there, there was, it was a very clear thing. Now I can tell you, I'll tell talking the talk tonight. I try and give a framework of how you can spot things. But we go, oh god, I wish I knew how to do that. Like, how do you launch a podcast from things? Like, watch what I'm doing. Like, yeah, that's the I'm showing you literally how to do it. So I like that. Um, the other idea about that is is um, like understanding where you've come. So you're saying like, oh, I was thinking about doing this and then I'm here. It's good to have people who can um, tell you that and say like, yeah. you've come to that point. And it's good to listen to those people as well. And like, without being too uh, self-congratulatory, you, you need to tell you need to tell yourself sometimes, hey, I've done quite good here. Like that was, I'll have two minutes of clapping and then like, let's let's move on. But do take the time to enjoy that because all too often it's gone and then you'd be panicking about something else the next week and uh, we're, we're very anxious people in our house yeah. and we have to remind ourselves all the time it's okay like take some fun and enjoy this yeah. kind of thing. I think I had my um, celebration I've been a freelancer for 12 months 14 months in 14 because months I just kept putting yeah. it off you know, well that's 60 things. days to pay the invoices <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so just quickly we'll come on to how people find you through social media and your sure. website right at the end but the podcast, do you just want to give a brief overview of what that is? And yes, so um, the All Good Copy podcast, um, I launched it in December last year, so it's just about coming up to a year anniversary. 
Um, I launched, I started, I used to do a thing in Agora where I did a coffee call every Tuesday for the, for the team and I would talk to someone in the company about copy. So I've always just loved talking about this thing. Um, and then I, the world of podcasts is the world of podcasts. It's become this massive thing. But I just thought, actually, there's, I'd like to do something like this um, still. I'd like to continue this and started talking to other copywriters um, in the world. And um, so that started. And then I also wanted to use, I saw a potential that I could use that as a creative outlet. So I do characters or some music or some a sketch or something in, in it and break it up like that, which I've gone over, I think, well, I've done 20 episodes now. And if you were to kind of scan them all, it's just got increasingly silly, um, to which the introduction to the last episode was four minutes and 33 of silence. Um, yeah. <laughs> where my dog performed John Cage's orchestral track. Of course, it wasn't silence. It was me whispering over it with questioning the fact that we should do that. Um, but stuff like that is where I've found a way to be creative in that. But also on that, the episode was an interview with Cindy Gallup, who's this fabulous woman in New York who like worked for like the biggest agencies in the world. Is like pushing all these things. And I'm thankfully, I've got some amazing interviews lined up with even more famous in, in inverted commas mm-hmm. um, people. But also, I'm, I pretty much mix it so there'll be half famous well-known people and half um, working people. <laughs> so right. the way I describe it is just freelancers like me who are just sat there in Leeds doing their work, but their, as their opinions, their creative process, their thoughts, their backstory, I find as valid as anyone else's mm-hmm. because they're probably going to be the people in the future who are going to be the, the big names. So I try and do that mix and make it a bit of a community thing. Um, it's just an opportunity to talk to people. I enjoy it. I love it. And as we were saying before um, we start recording, the whole podcast format and the interview format allows you to possibly find like a, a gem of originality in something that yeah. you say because you're making up. Yes, you go through the old riffs, but some people might listen to one podcast who haven't listened to another one. So that's good that you do that. But then you also, it is quite an authentic natural thing and I think uh, I, I enjoy listening to it it's, it's content that I would I listen to the podcasts that I do not in a kind of narcissistic oh my voice is beautiful way in listening to the guests because I enjoy it when you're in the podcast you're not really listening to it fully you, you're engaging but you're thinking right how do I segue into that next bit kind yeah. of thing so so I, I continue making that we've got I've got up to about episode 40 booked now uh, with some stupidly like good guests well they're all good guests but some stupid people I'm like how am I speaking to this person yeah um, which is really nice and more and more people seem to be enjoying it doing a live show um, version which should be interesting if that works as I see it in my mind and I don't collapse into a heap on the floor um, then I will take that around the country um, and interview a local person but do the live show around it so uh, so that's my plan there um will i make the edinburgh festival we will we can only see yeah but, um that is a vague thing that i have kind of gone yeah why not let's try that but that's how i kind of work in my ambitions now but yeah so we're, we're aiming for that in the next two years 
So, just to finish off, and these are phrasing in inverted commas, yeah. quick fire, quick fire question. Just for that, I'm finishing. I ask everyone these sure. questions just so there's some kind of round up at the end that's common thread. Um, but who or what has been your biggest inspiration throughout your career? Who has been my biggest Who or what? It could be something. Who or what? Yeah. <laughs> the spoon that I want to <laughs> no, um, Who has been my biggest inspiration? Oh, dear. It's one of those questions, isn't it? Um, who has inspired me? It's different people at different stages, really. It's a hard, it's a tough question. Of course, uh, my dear old mum has helped me enormously at times when I was um, doing silly things and supported me and knew that I would hit various challenges and anticipated those and helped me through them. So she's been very helpful, uh, inspiring, um, I don't know. I, I always my mind is going to Ruth, but that's far too twee. Like <laughs> I do really like my uh, my partner. She's she does make me think in different ways. Um, but inspiring, I guess. I know I will say Jim Henson, okay. the creator of the Muppets, because okay. I love the not just the Muppets themselves, but the philosophy, the the cre- creative. Um, mind that Jim Henson. I've read a lot of books about Jim Henson. He was a bit of a strange character actually, but um, he's inspired me a lot. Um, yeah, we'll go with Jim Henson. That's quite interesting. Brilliant. Um, and then what is the biggest learning from your career? So really, the reason I say this is because I used to ask what's your top tip for someone who wants to do what you want to do and a lot of people sure. were saying, well I kind of made it up as I went. So yeah. what's your biggest learning? What have I, my learning? Yes. My biggest learning, my, the biggest, the, the most important thing I've learned is you've got to be yourself. Um, it's such a, like, I don't want to swear because I've gone through without swearing, but <laughs> it's such a silly, like, cliched thing. But as everything, as I'm discovering in life, in copywriting and business, it's always the cliches. The problem is people don't actually do them or follow them. Um, So I guess you could say have the discipline to follow your own advice and stuff. But but being yourself for me um, has reaped massive rewards. And the times when I've not been myself, be that in business, in work, in love, in friendship, if you've not been yourself, it kind of tends to go wrong. If you are... Then anybody who rejects that, it's not your problem, kind of thing. You've kind of answered the second question, but the next question is the third question in one there, and um, which was what's one tip for success in building your personal brand? In building your personal brand, yeah, be yourself oh, is, yeah. is a good thing. Um, yeah, be nice as well. Like, yeah, I, I can't remember if I've still got that the slide in my uh, presentation, but at one point I think I'd be nice because again, it's just stupid cliche, but yeah. like. If you're nice, it, t- it does tend to show like people do come back mm-hmm. and be nice to you. So, uh, and then on the theme of reflection, which we've slightly mm-hmm. discussed earlier, what is the best moment in your career to date? <laughs> in my career, okay, so yeah. so we can get rid of all the kind of uh, soppy emotional moments uh, in my romantic <laughs> life and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in my career, the best moment. There is a lot 
I've had, I've been really lucky, um, particularly over the past two years, um, with all this like this stuff. But I guess the most recent in my mind, if I dug further, I'm sure I'll find other like nice. Oh, that's a nice moment. But I think seeing myself like on Amazon and seeing that book with it, like yeah. where it's like you, it's not just. So I'd, I'd like done a shit series of short stories before which were like I'd done myself and, and what have you but this was another company had yeah. put me onto Amazon and I was an actual thing there independent of me that was pretty good like I was I was very I was quite happy with that um, and that's probably more meaningful than the kind of like I was happy to do this live thing and all this lot. but yeah that was that was good um, I, I also remember I, my, whilst because of me I'm doing a talk tonight I did a talk in Grimsby at a little coffee shop there Riverbread Coffee which is a great um, independent coffee shop run by an old school friend but I did a talk there as a test to see if I could do it okay um, and I, I was all I was very much anticipating falling flat on my face and dying like I had three bottles of water lined up in case I like dried out and yeah. what have you and I had Ruth there to watch me in case it was like the most awful thing and I should never get out of the room again. But she, but I did that and, and I, I think an hour in I was like, oh, no, I can do it. And that was, that was like, yes, we're on to something here. Like, really? That's okay. So that was, that was a good moment. But yeah, I think probably the book, like megalomaniac moment of going, this is it. Yeah. I'm a real person. <laughs> well, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. If people want to find out more about you and All Good Coffee, how do they do that socials website? Uh, yeah, you can go allgoodcopy.com, um, which has everything on there um, and some articles and what have you, links to the podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter mostly, at allgoodcopy. Uh, on Instagram, mainly pictures of my dog, but that's glenn.fisher with two N's. Um, but yeah, if you go on allgoodcopy.com or the uh, self-grandizing the glennfisher.com, uh, you just because you can get the domain, I can't get one. That's exactly the same. But yeah, you can go there and find that. Uh, but you can generally find me. I think I am now the most famous Glenn Fisher. There was a Canadian ice hockey player who was um, returning on Google higher than me, but I think I've done more than him now. Um, but if he wins, wins like an ice hockey trophy, I'm screwed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you can, you can generally find me. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Well, that was another brilliant guest on the My Journey podcast to kick off this batch of interviews. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to Glenn as much as I did interviewing him. A quick thanks to Glenn for agreeing to be on the podcast. He came up early before a talk he did for another project I'm involved in, which is called Creative Point. You can find out more about that on my social media, where I'm always keen to hear feedback about the podcast from you guys. If you have any comments or ideas for future guests, just drop me a message on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm at the MJ Social on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you search Matt Johnson on LinkedIn, I should pop up. But until next time, thanks for listening.